It's not possible to become like Jesus unless you have first been with Jesus. It's not possible to become like him. And I think, I think oftentimes we, we, we can be guilty of sort of circumventing the process or cutting the corners and thinking, hey, I'm going to walk out here and I'm going to just emulate the characteristics of Christ. I'm going to try to do, you know, all of the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, all these things. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be very forgiving or very loving. And the problem is, is that unless the way you're living out life is sourced in, in, in a place of really being with Jesus, uh, all that stuff, it's going to just uh, be short term. It's not going to last. Because you can't become like him unless you have first been with him. We're in week two of a teaching series that Pastor Josh kicked off last week. Uh, it's just called Jesus. Uh, it's pretty creative. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's Jesus. Uh, for the next uh, 14 weeks, we're going to be in a series. It's a three-part series, and the front part of the series uh, is, is focusing specifically on how to be with Jesus. And so I want to just kind of kick off this morning by, by really just asking you a question. Have you ever found yourself needing to be in two places at once? You ever found, found yourself needing to be in two places at once? Maybe you have two kids, uh, and they are both in sports, but they're playing their games in different locations, and you're like, how do I, how do I figure this out? Uh, how, how do we be in two places at once? It's, it's, uh, it's not possible. Or maybe you have two equally important things that you're now stuck trying to decide between. Uh, what are you going to choose? Have you ever found yourself uh, needing to be in two places at once? So for me, uh, five and a half years ago when our twins were born, it was one of those moments. Uh, uh, I guess the best way to kind of describe the events surrounding the birth of our twins was the word, you know, traumatic. Uh, it's, it's, it's the right way to describe it, probably. The twins ended up uh, having extended stay in the, the NICU. Uh, my wife had, had a, uh, a birthing experience that was traumatic as well and, and uh, a lengthy recovery. And uh, so our family kind of lived um, in the waiting room at, at the... Uh, uh, or in the, um, in the hospital rooms at the hospital for, for quite a while. We were, we were there, it seemed like, around the clock uh, for, for a bit. And uh, at that time, uh, we had uh, a pretty significant emergency pop up at the church. And, and so I am sitting here uh, feeling pulled in two different directions. Um, and this was one of those things that, like, I couldn't just, like, wait. I couldn't just be like, hey, I'll deal with it in a couple weeks or whatever. Like, I needed to, like, speak to it now. I needed to be, I couldn't just, like, let it be handled by others. I had, I had to have some sort of involvement. Uh, and yet here I got my family on the other side, and I'm, I'm like, what, what, am I, what do I do? What am I going to do? And so I ended up taking this meeting that had to happen, and I moved it to the waiting room at the hospital, and we had a meeting. Uh, we met, we made decisions, and, and then, you know, I'm only a few feet from my family. I went back to that, and I, I don't know if I made the right decision or not. I, I think I did the best with what I uh, what I was dealt with at the time, but uh, I bring that up just because I remember the emotions of being pulled in two different directions at one time. Uh, I, I remember the, the emotions of, of really feeling like I needed to be in two places at the same time and not being able to figure out how to do so. I think we all probably have experiences like this of needing to be in two places at once, and yet we all know that it's physically humanly impossible, right? And even though it's physically humanly impossible, uh, the funny thing about that is it, it doesn't keep us from trying. You know, we run our schedules in such a way where it's as if like we think somehow it's going to work out uh, one of these days for us to be in two places at once. People are enamored by this idea. That's why we see pictures of people who pull over at the side of the road at the border state, uh, state line, the border line at the state, and they, they take these pictures with one foot in one state, one foot in the other, hashtag 
two places at once, right? That's, we see this. It's like a bit of a phenomenon. Did you know that you can actually be in four places at once? You can be in four places at once. In fact, on the U.S. map, there is a place where four states come together at one specific point. You can look at this picture with me. It's Arizona, Utah, Colorado, and New Mexico. At this singular point, these four states come together, and there is a national monument right here. It's called the Four Corners Monument, and tourists flock to this spot every year. Uh, and it's because people are enamored with this idea of being able to, to say that they were in four U.S. states at the exact same time. And so here's the, the picture of the monument. Uh, you can go to the next. Yeah, it's right here. And, and so you go and you can visit this spot and say that you have, you have touched all four states at the same time. And so people flock to this spot, and, and there's some funny pictures people take. There's some that just, I, I wasn't quite sure I could pull them off on a Sunday morning in church, but, uh, you know, people contort their bodies in all these ways uh, so that they, they can have, you know, a part of their body touching down in all four states at the same time. So you can see this one, you can see this next one, it's, it's pretty cute. Um, but, but this is what people do, right? And now even though this is technically true, even though it's technically true that they are in four states at the same time or four places at the same time or somebody who takes a picture at the border or at the, uh, of a state or the border of a country and say, hey, I was in two places at once, even though that's technically true, like we all know that if you move the line out much more than like a few foot radius, it's not going to happen. It's impossible, right? You move the line out 10 feet, you move it out 20 feet, let alone miles or hundreds of miles, it's impossible for humans to be in two places at the exact same time. And here's the deal, though. I really feel like I came here today to tell you that this is what the Christian life is meant to look like. This is what the Christian life is meant to look like. See, I wonder if, if it could be true that the most important thing for every Christian to learn is how to be in two places at once. How to be in two places at once. You see, we all uh, divide our lives up into many different compartments, Right? You, have, you have work, you have family, uh, you have errands, uh, you got your, your marriage, you have, you have friends and vacations and finances, and uh, you'll throw church in there, it's probably a good idea with God and Jesus and the whole thing, you know, like, probably should do all that, but we have compartments, we divide our lives up, and, and what happens for most people who live their lives very compartmentalized is that they seem to try to do their best to make sure that the compartments don't overlap, and it's because, because when they're in a specific compartment, there's a certain mindset that they're in. There's a certain level of brain power that they're using in that specific compartment. And, and so they do their best to make sure that it doesn't overlap. So if I'm at work, I'm thinking a certain way. My brain is moving a certain way. Then, and it's different when I'm with my family. But I really feel like, like what I have to tell you is that, you know, the, um, is that for every Christian... There is one compartment that you're never, never meant to leave. For, for every Christian, there is one compartment that you are always meant to remain in while you then step into additional compartments or additional categories in your life. And you probably know what's coming, but it's your relationship with Jesus, right? And so the, at the foundation of Christian living is this concept of living in two places at once all the time. Having my, myself in this, in, in this relationship with Jesus while I step into all the other aspects of life. John Mark Comer talks about it like this. He says, we must invite him, speaking about Jesus, into every moment 
and learn to always be in two places at once, at home and with Jesus, at work and with Jesus, on your commute and with Jesus. Do you know that you can be emailing and still be with Jesus? Do you know that you can be having coffee with a coworker or a friend and still be with Jesus? Do you know that you can be dealing with some enormous pressures, some enormous decisions, and at the same time still be with Jesus? Did you know that you can be at the end of yourself with your kids even and still be with Jesus? You can be in the, the mundane, routine tasks of life and still be with Jesus. And the point is that there is this constant state of connection and awareness of the Holy Spirit that we're meant to have, and it's meant to be a part of our lives all day long, all day long. We remain in this place with Jesus while we step into all these other places in our lives. All day long. It reminds me of Captain America. I don't know if any of you are, are fans. Uh, you know, uh, you kind of have to be, I think, if you have kids of certain age. You know, but but Captain America, if you know, uh, don't know, he he um, has been infused with superhuman power. And so in these movies, uh, there's more than one scene. He's kind of famous for a line that he that he that he that he says. Um, and he'll he'll be in a battle scene. He'll be doing hand-to-hand combat. He'll be taking a punch. Uh, and he will turn and look at, at whoever's throwing the punch, and he'll say, I can do this all day, right? I, like, I'm not getting tired. I'm not wearing down. I'm not getting injured. I can do this all day. And I just sort of wondered if that, if that you know, could almost be the mantra of, of, you know, followers of Jesus. I can do this all day long. I can live in two places at once. I can live my life with a constant connection and constant awareness of the presence and power of God in my life all day long. I think this is what the Christian life is meant to look like, by the way. Uh, I think that we read this in, in the Gospels and in the New Testament, that this is what the Christian life is meant to look like. So, in the Gospels, we see an entirely new way of life introduced that is so different from anything else that had ever existed, really. This new way of life that would completely reject societal constructs and, uh, you know, acceptable norms of the dominant culture, we see this new way of life that is completely upside down to anything and everything else, this new way of life that would be characterized by things like achieving power under, not power over. This new way of life that would be known for loving the poor and the hungry and the outcast and the marginalized and the widow. An entirely new way of life we see in the Gospels that would be known for adopting all of the children that nobody wanted. A new way of life that would seem to produce people who would live in this world as a non-anxious presence in an anxiety-filled world. An entirely new way of life that would produce people who were others-focused as opposed to being self-focused. And so this new way of life that was introduced 2,000 years ago in the Gospels is what has been called since then as, if you're taking notes, the way of Jesus. It's been called the way of Jesus for 2,000 years. Now you may not know this, but the earliest years of the church, the followers of Jesus were not called Christians. They were simply called followers of the way. Now, that sounds a little cultish, right? Uh, yeah, we're fo- followers of the way. Sounds a little like Star Wars, if I'm on it right. It sounds just super odd, um, because if, if you're really into Star Wars, you're just a little odd, right? I mean, it's just, 
It's just the way it goes. But, and you know it's true. That's not even an insult. So, um, but this way of life, this entirely new way of life uh, that was introduced in the Gospels all that, 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 that you know, all those years ago, it, it was the way of Jesus. And these, because these early followers of Jesus were simply called followers of the way. And it sounds off. It sounds weird. It's like, who, who wants to join the way, you know? And, uh, and it was weird. It was odd. Peter even acknowledges it, and he, he calls these early followers of Jesus a peculiar people, right? Makes some sense. Like, anything that breaks away from the overarching methods and practices and values of culture to establish its own subculture, it's going to give off those vibes, right? And that's exactly what it did, and that's what it uh, in some ways, continues to do. There's a few places here in Acts I want to show you that just reference the early followers of Jesus as the way. Acts 9, 1 through 2 uh, says, Meanwhile, Saul, who would eventually become Paul, right, after his uh, dramatic Damascus Road conversion experience, uh, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to, what is it? To the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Later on in Acts chapter 22, verse 4, Paul now, who has been converted to Christianity, he says, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. And then two chapters later in verse 14, Paul says, however, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect or cult. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. Okay, so if you're taking notes, I want to just give you this thought right here. The invitation of Jesus is not to just bear the name Christian or to just believe the right things. The invitation of Jesus has always been about embracing a completely different way of life. Christianity wasn't called Christianity in the early years. It was simply called the way. The invitation of Jesus 2,000 years ago, I, you know, to, to those who would consider following him, I think is the same invitation to you and I today, and it's this invitation to become a disciple, a disciple. Now, I use that word, and immediately your minds are just filled with all of these images, right? Because we are familiar with that term. It's mostly because of our familiarity with the 12 men who made up Jesus' inner circle during his earthly ministry. Most of us probably believe that, uh, man, we can never be like that, you know? So we think of, man, I'm supposed to be a disciple. I'm supposed to be like Peter, James, and John. We know these 12 as the 12 disciples, and we hold them in really high regard, all but one, really. Um, most of us probably believe that we couldn't do this. We couldn't be a disciple of Jesus. Well, the problem with that thinking is that being a disciple is the only invitation there is. It's the only, only invitation there is from Jesus. And so what I want to do, if that's you, if you struggle with the word disciple and you immediately just think of all these saints or whatever that we've, you know, kind of elevated to super high status, and we should admire them, right? I mean, great things that they did, but so much of, of what we've done is, is make the way they live their lives as like unattainable or something I could never do uh, myself. And so what I want to do, if that's you, is I want to just kind of help you think of this word differently. Um, 
I want to help you think of the word disciple in a way that isn't so unachievable in your mind. I want you to think of it in a way that, in my opinion, is a better translation of the original word anyway, and that is the word apprentice. So if you see this on here, I think disciple really means apprentice. So when we're talking about the invitation of Jesus to you and to me is to be a disciple, the invitation is to be an apprentice, to study under, to learn under uh, the way of Jesus so that we might actually do what he did, that we might emulate the things uh, that Jesus did and how he lived. To be an apprentice, though, uh, of Jesus, you have to order your life around three main ideas if you're taking notes. Look at this with me. The way of Jesus, you have to order your life around these three things. You have to be with Jesus, then become like Jesus, and then do what Jesus did. This is the way of Jesus, okay? This is the way of Jesus that's laid out in the New Testament, that, that uh, the followers of Jesus are to order their lives around these three things. One, how to be with Jesus. Right? What does that really even mean? We're going to talk about that here in a moment. And then, like, we, out of that place of being with Jesus, we then begin to become like him. Right? Like, I, I, do you think that you could ever become like me if you never hung around me? If you never spent any time with me or you never really seriously met me? Like, you couldn't, right? And so, in order for us to become like Jesus, we're to be with him. We're to spend time with him and to be around him. I'm going to explain what that means and then ultimately what that does is it leads us into a place of life where we begin to do the things that Jesus did. We begin to treat people the way Jesus treated them. We begin to see uh, things around us that need to change. We begin to be inbreakers of the kingdom of God in the here and the, in the now. If you're taking uh, notes, look at this thought. It's not possible to become like Jesus unless you have first been with Jesus. It's not possible to become like him. And I think, I think oftentimes we, we, we can be guilty of sort of circumventing the process or cutting the corners and thinking, hey, I'm going to walk out here and I'm going to just emulate the characteristics of Christ. I'm going to try to do, you know, all of the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, all these things. Or I'm going, to, I'm going to try to be very forgiving or very loving. And the problem is, is that unless the way you're living out life is sourced in, in, in a place of really being with Jesus, uh, all that stuff, it's going to just uh, be short term. It's not going to last. Because you can't become like him unless you have first been with him. This is what Jesus expects that we would learn how to be with him. And so, um, if you've got your Bibles or you want to just look at the screen, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 1 is where I want to kind of take you here for a little bit. John chapter 1, 35 through 39, specifically, it says this, it says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. Now, this is John the Baptist, and John the Baptist had his own disciples, right? Uh, and story's kind of interesting to, because th verse 36, it says, when he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. This was, this was common language for John to use when Jesus would come near. And verse 37 says, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So John's got his own disciples, and they hear John go, hey, look, the Lamb of God. And they're like, okay, we're going to go follow this guy. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting to me. So they went and followed Jesus. Verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Notice the language. Notice the language between Jesus and these two disciples of John the Baptist. He says, come, 
and you will see. Where are you going? He says, come and you will see. In today's language, Jesus would say something like, come and hang out with me. Come and spend time with me. Come hang out for a while and see. Jesus is saying, like, come really see for yourself if all the rumors are true. Come see for yourself. Put another way, Jesus is really saying, come and be with me. Come and be with me. And this was then and is still the open invite of Jesus, by the way. It's the first stage of apprenticeship to Jesus that we're to be with him. We're to be with him. We're to know him. Now, the question, if you're taking notes, is like, how does this even work? How does this work? Because we're not living in first century Israel, right? Um, we live in the 21st century, and Jesus is not physically here in the present, right? So, you know, concepts like this can just feel very difficult to understand. Like, how do I, how do I spend time with Jesus? How do I be with him? How does this even work? Because I, I can understand, like, the 12 disciples, like, 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 following him and staying in proximity to him. But, man, they actually had somebody in the physical to, to look to. How do we do this now? How do we do this now? Jesus isn't physically here. It's true. Matthew's gospel tells us that Jesus is seated, seated at, the, at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So then how do you and I be with Jesus now here in the 21st century? Let me show you. John 14, 15 uh, through 17, Jesus is speaking, and he says, If you love me, keep my commands. This is uh, basically another way of Jesus saying, If you love me, then follow me. Okay? In verse 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. This word advocate, it can be translated to mean another one like me or another one of me. You say, I'll ask the Father and he's going to give you another one of me or another one that's just like me, right? To help you and be with you forever, right? To help you and be with you forever. Verse 17, uh, it's the spirit of truth. This is the one who is coming. This is the advocate, the spirit of truth. Jesus says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. It's pretty good. Skipping down to verse 25, Jesus says this, all this I have spoken while still with you. Okay, so he's, he's, he's acknowledging that. I, I've told you these things. And I'm with you right now. I am present. I'm in the physical. All these things I've told you and spoken while I'm still with you. In verse 26, but the advocate, right, the one who is coming that is going to be just like me or be another one of me, the Holy Spirit, he refers to it, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So, it's really important, by the way, that you catch that because if you're taking notes, the way we can be with Jesus today is, is absolutely through the Holy Spirit. It's, it's how it works. It's through the Holy Spirit. And so, like I said at the beginning, I said, you know, so, so this is why our primary goal or our primary focus, like day to day, is to make sure that we are living with a constant connection and constant awareness to the Holy Spirit all day long. Because when we don't, like we, we, it's, we find it very difficult to actually live lives that are with Jesus very often at all. We reduce it down to probably an hour or two a week uh, at church, if that. You know, the average person attends church 1.67 times a year, which is uh, completely tragic, by the way. Um, it's tragic. And, uh, and with that, with that, 
what, what that really means is like if, if that's, you know, what you're depending upon, so, you know, uh, connecting you to Jesus or helping you be with Jesus, it's certainly not enough. We're meant to live lives that are constantly aware of the presence and power of God, constantly connected to the Holy Spirit. Man, not as many amens today, you know? It's all good. John chapter 15, uh, Jesus is speaking again, and this is one of the most famous uh, portions of Scripture in the entire Bible, right? I mean, you're going to recognize it immediately. Uh, it's incredibly powerful. Jesus uh, says here in verse 1, he says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts, us, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. In verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Catch this language. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Catch this. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. Showing yourselves to be my what? Apprentices. My apprentices. Jesus is speaking of this idea of remaining in him or abiding in him, remaining connected to him. And in this passage of scripture, you and I are the branch and he is the vine. And he's, he's, he's really showing that, that uh, it is vital to our success. It's vital to life, to experiencing the life that is life or the abundant life that Jesus talks about in the gospels. It, it, what's vital to that is remaining connected to the vine, and anything we try to do, the life we try to live apart from the vine, it's not going to work. It withers, it dies, it becomes nothing. Rich Villadas, a pastor I like to follow out of New York, he, he says this, he says, if, if Jesus spent eight hours a day every day for three years with his disciples or his apprentices, he would have spent over 8,000 hours with them. And after all that time, they still had major gaps. One hour a week on a Sunday will never change people. We need a life that abides in him with the support of others. I love this quote because it, it, uh, it's, not, it's not reducing down or minimizing like, the importance of church. It's basically just saying, look, like, if that's all you do, it's not enough. Like, we have to have lives that abide in him. And then he says, like, with the support of others. So we don't abide on our own, by the way. We don't abide in Jesus on our own. We, it's with the support of others. It's within church community. Paul uses different language in 1 Thessalonians to describe this same concept that Jesus introduces as abiding in the vine. Paul says this in verse 16 and 17, rejoice always, pray continually. Now this is one of the most misunderstood verses probably in the entire New Testament. In fact, if you've ever struggled with prayer, which is probably all of us, if you've ever just thought, man, I don't even know how to pray, I don't know how to do this, but the Bible says I need to pray continually, uh, you've probably been super intimidated, like, how am I going to live this out, you know? But, but Paul isn't talking about just 24 hours a day around the clock, just, just like 
praying everything you can think or having, you know, your list that you keep praying through to make sure you're, you know, storming heaven and that God hears you. Paul's talking about something that's very similar to what Jesus was talking about. Paul is talking about 24-7 communion with God. 24-7 communion with God that never is there a time of the day where we're meant to be disconnected from his presence. Never are we meant to be in one place without him being there with us at the same time. Brother Lawrence uh, calls this practicing the presence of God. In fact, if you don't know who Brother Lawrence is, uh, there, there was a, uh, a book that was compiled after his, his death. Uh, that it's really, really not a book, it's more of a pamphlet, and this is it right here. You can probably read it in like, I don't know, 30 minutes or so. And yet it has been, had a profound impact on the church over the last five, six hundred years, like in, in literally every stream of the church. So it, it, every mainline, you know, kind of church or, or, or denomination, every, every uh, Protestant or evangelical, you know, denomination, like this book has had a lasting impact over that time. Brother Lawrence was a man who got really radically saved after a period of, of, of serving in the war. And he, he went and he served in a Franciscan monastery. And he served as the cook uh, in this monastery. And during his time of working and serving at this monastery, he developed a reputation for being a man who experienced constantly profound peace. And so people from, like, would hear about Brother Lawrence and they would actually come to get time with him they were, people were drawn to him because he was known as a man who, who, who you know, uh, continually or, or consistently experienced, like, profound peace. Makes people wonder, like, where did that come from? How is this possible? It's probably a question many of us would ask now. How could I be somebody like that who lived life with continual peace? This is what Brother Lawrence says in, in this book, um, Practicing the Presence of God. He says, uh, the time of business does not differ from me, the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, right? So it's busy. People want this from him. People want that from him. They want this food or that food. He says, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, look, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees before the blessed sacrament. Now, the blessed sacrament he's referring to is the Eucharist. It's the communion, right? And it would have been the most holy, um, the most holy moment in their entire tradition. And what Brother Lawrence is saying is, in like, like when, I'm, when I'm doing my job, when I'm here making food and I'm serving people who are coming through the line, or people are, are asking me all these questions, bombarding me with different requests, he says, it's just as holy of a moment for me then as it is when I'm before the Blessed Sacrament, when I am taking in the body and the blood of, of Jesus. He says, because, because I possess God. I possess God. He's with me in every moment. He says that the, he's saying that the mundane and the routine moments of life, the times of working and washing dishes and mopping floors are the moments that are just as holy because he's still with Jesus. He's still with Jesus. 
His life isn't split into all these compartments where God is over here maybe one day out of the week, if that. He's saying, no, no, no. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes with me into every compartment of my day. Everywhere I'm at in my given week, I still am with Jesus while I'm doing all of these other things. He says basically that he's learned the secret of how to be in two places at once. I possess God. Do you, do you possess God like this? You possess God like this. Dallas Willard in The Great Omission, fantastic book, he says the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret for caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God, okay, steals it from Brother Lawrence, is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we may, be, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and habits that can be broken. Habits that can be broken. I love this quote. I, lo- I love what Dallas Willard says here is because he's saying that, that, that he talks about these things that are less than God, these things that just get in the way, these things that just, just distract us, these things that cause us to just, to just slip into different areas of our lives and not bring Jesus with us. He says we focus too often on things that are less than God, things that are not really important. And he says these are habits. They're not the law of gravity, and they're habits that can be broken if we really want them to. Now, I say all this today because I, 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 but I need to like give a little disclaimer because there is no guilt and shame in this message, right? I, I'm, not, I'm trying to, to uh, excite you. I'm trying to inspire you. I'm trying to help you see that, like, man, there's a way to follow Jesus that is really incredible, that isn't as, 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 uh, as hard and burdensome and difficult as, as maybe it sometimes feels. Man, I've seen so many people walk around as proclaimed followers of Jesus, and there's just like this heaviness on their face all the time. There's just a, man, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just trying hard today. And I, I just, I want you to understand that there's a way to be with Jesus that is so life-giving. It, 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 it's so much better than like all the other things that are less than God. And so this isn't about getting it perfect, right? This is something we are practicing, and we're practicing, practicing this, like, all life long. It's a lifetime of practicing. If you're taking notes, look at this. When it comes to being with Jesus, practice is the goal. It's not perfection. We want to practice the presence of God. Right? Like, you may not get it right t- today, tomorrow. But, but like, let's, let's get it right on, t- on Tuesday. Let's try some things. Let's, let's move some things around. Man, it, that wasn't the right recipe today. Let's figure out. Like, like let's work on this. Let's practice this so that we can live in two places at once and bring the presence of God into our lives. Look at this. An apprentice of Jesus learns how to bring the presence of God into the routine of their daily life. That's what an apprentice does. That's what an apprentice does. So often the question is, well, how, do, how do I even do this? How do I accomplish this in the chaos of the secular culture and the fast-paced digital world that I live in? Like, how, how do we accomplish this? Because like, this is so foreign. This is so like, anti, you know, the... The, uh, the pace of the world that we live in right now. Well, the way you do this, this isn't on the screen, but to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And that's not meant to be, to be cute. It's meant to be like truth. So if you live your life 
you know, for the most part, assimilated to, to the pace and the rhythm and the values of culture, that's the life you're going to live. And so that's why as Christians, like, like we don't do that. Like we live our lives differently. We live our lives assimilated fully to the lifestyle of Jesus and the, the life he modeled here on earth. And it produces a different way of life, a different type of life for us in the here and now. It's, it's really a, a non-negotiable if you want to follow the way. And so what's the lifestyle of Jesus? Well, Pastor Josh got into a couple of them last week. It's prayer and fasting. Those are, those are exciting things to talk about, right? Prayer and fasting. It's, it's Sabbath. We're going to talk about that coming up. Bible reading, silence and solitude. The community of believers, right? Joining together as the family of God. As like a habit. These are spiritual habits. These are things that like are meant to be in your life. They're meant to be formed into your life. And we're once the most basic intro to apprenticeship to Jesus. They're once the most basic things. Did you know that these spiritual habits, which, which you know, man, like this isn't like the topic that's just going to make, I don't know, that everyone's just like coming to church for. Hey, can we talk about prayer and fasting and Sabbath and all these things? But here's the deal. All of these spiritual habits, silence and solitude, community of believers, church, all these things, they're, 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 a, in, uh, um, they're always uh, a means to an end. Always. Like, for instance, like, like is reading your Bible... Um, is like the purpose of reading your Bible just so that you can say you read your Bible? Is the purpose of reading your Bible just so you can say, like, I, I, learned, I learned my Bible today, or I got to know my Bible better? No, 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 no. The purpose of reading your Bible is so that you can be with Jesus, right? So that it can help you, like, follow the way of Jesus. Like, all of these things, like, that, they're, they're, they're a, uh, a means to an end. They're a means to an end. And so for the first 1,500 years of the church, these spiritual habits were the starting point of someone who wanted to become a follower of Jesus. Oh, you want to follow Jesus? All right, let's talk about fasting. You want to be a follower of Jesus? Let's talk about, like, you know, prayer and just let's, let's get after it. You want to talk about, you know, let's talk about Sabbath and church and all these things where these habits are now a lot less practiced in the church. They just are. People want to get saved or they want to follow Jesus. Now we're like, here, read the Gospel of John and try not to sin. And so, if you want the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle. And so we're going to get into a few of these habits, not because I'm trying to bring any guilt or condemnation. I'm trying to give you something that will give life to you, right? That will that, probably revolutionize the way that you live uh, for Jesus. And so, as we get into some of these habits in the next few weeks, um, I think it's going to be really good for you. But what I want to do just for the next few minutes is, I, wanna, I want to just show you what I think is maybe the most important one. Maybe the most important habit. Um, and it's this. It's walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes this to the church in Galatia, and he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Uh, rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out for you will be destroyed by each other. Look at verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. 
They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Man, some of those, uh, it's just not, like, man, Paul, did you really have to add that? Like, I think we knew those were acts of the flesh. I think we knew that. Um, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Catch verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, forbearance, which is another word for patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let's, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So, like the maybe most important thing is learning how to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Learning how to walk in the Spirit in a, really, a time of the flesh. Galatians 5 is incredibly famous. Um, probably some of you have refrigerator magnets or coffee mugs, or you've, you've at least got some of this memorized, maybe the fruit of the Spirit, but in my opinion, it's one of the most misread and misunderstood passages of Scripture because we read this and we immediately begin to see a list that we have to work on. We see a list, like, I, oh, I gotta be more loving. I gotta, I gotta have more joy. I gotta be more patient. I gotta be more kind. We immediately begin to see a list of things that we've gotta, we've gotta work on. Things we gotta effort uh, more to, to produce this in our lives. But the truth is that you can't be more loving. You can act more loving, but you can't be more loving. You can't be more patient, you can act more patient. But you can't be that. You can't be that. Acting that way, is really, it's really dependent upon sheer willpower. And willpower is not all that bad. Like, it's not all bad, I would say. But the problem with willpower is that most of us have, have like, used it all up by, like, 9 or 10 a.m. Like, we're, we're, just, we're out. Like, we're done. Especially during 21 days for fasting. Willpower and determination is not what the scripture teaches here. It says the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say it's singular. It doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The idea here is that the fruit is, being, is becoming produced in us as we learn to walk in the Spirit, as we learn to abide in Jesus, as we learn, learn to be with him. This is the fruit that is produced in our lives as we learn to be in two places at once. As we learn to be in two places at once. If you're taking notes, look at this with me. The command is not to somehow conjure up godly fruit. The command is to walk in the Spirit and to be with Jesus. Walk in the Spirit. That's why fasting is so powerful, by the way. Because daily, what I'm doing, what you're doing, is I am saying no to my flesh and I'm saying yes to the Spirit, right? I'm denying the flesh, and I'm saying yes to the Spirit. Letting the Spirit grow. Letting the Spirit get bigger. Walking in the Spirit, in my opinion, is the central metaphor for Christian living. 
It's what it's all about. And Jesus says in John 15 that apart from this, really, we can do nothing. Nothing else will work. Nothing else will work. The problem, if you're taking notes, is that most of us want the life, but not the lifestyle. Like most of us want the life of Jesus, but man, the lifestyle. But the lifestyle, let me know that there are like lifestyles that are responsible for producing outcomes of life, right? You ever been interested in running a marathon? You ever just thought for a minute that that might be cool? And then you stopped and you're like, yeah, but you look at like the life that like a runner lives and you're like, I, don't, I want that, but I don't want that. Like I want that, but I don't want the lifestyle. I don't want to get up that early. I don't want to wear clothes that cling to my body like that. I don't want to, I don't want to do that, right? I mean, I have to think about those things in, in my life. I have to think about those things. So, you know, I mean, there, there's, it's, you know, or, or like these guys, week in and out, I'm like, man, if I could just pick up a guitar and start playing, that'd be great. And then I think like, man, like I certainly don't want to put in the time. You know, I don't want to put in the effort it takes to like do what these guys do because I, I just want to be able to wake, wake up and do it because I want the life but not the lifestyle. We think of like, man, it'd be sure good, sure great to have like financial stability or a certain type of financial stability, but I want the life. I don't, I don't really want the discipline. I don't want the lifestyle that comes with that. Man, we want Jesus' life oftentimes, but we don't want the lifestyle. Your life right now, it's the byproduct of your lifestyle. It's just, it's just what, it, what it is. If you're taking notes, in other words, your system, you've heard this before probably, is perfectly designed to give you the results you are getting. And so when you think of your life, what are the results that you're getting? What's the fruit? What fruit are you getting your, from your life? From your apprenticeship to Jesus, what fruit is there? Is it good fruit or not? Are you living your life based on the template set by Jesus all those years ago? In closing, Dallas Willard says this again. He says in The Great Omission, the general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. This is the feature of human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. Would you stand with me this morning? In all my years of being a pastor, you know what I found? That the want to isn't the problem. The want to has never been the problem. Like I've, I've preached hundreds, thousands of sermons over the years, and the want to is never the issue. Like I've, I've looked out in rooms like this, people, tears in their eyes, like ready. Like, like God, the Holy Spirit is like affecting their heart. Like the want to is never the problem. You know what the problem always is? When they begin to realize that in order to actually follow Jesus, the way he wants them to, it's gonna actually cause them to have to reorder drastically some things of their life, cause them to actually have to change some things, and that's when people punch out. That's when people say no. That's when people say, yeah, I, I want it, but I just don't want the lifestyle associated with that. And so I just ask you today, like, I ask you this today. What do you think it will take for you to take what you, what you hear preached today and begin to apply it. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think it'll take? Like, like, when is your day? You know, when will it be your day to respond to the challenges 
today to center your life around the deep things of Jesus. Would you just bow your heads with me for a moment? If you're here today and you would just, you would just acknowledge, Pastor Jordan, like there are some things in my life. There are just some things in my life. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely struggling with this idea of, of, of learning how to live in two places at once, how to remain connected to Jesus while I'm connected to all of these other things. And I just, I need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. I need God to come and radically kind of reorient things in my life. I, I'm tired of kind of figuring this out on my own. And if that's you right now, would you just slip your hand up so I can cover you in prayer? I just want to encourage you in prayer today. All around this room, all, like all around this room, like there, there, are, there are many people here today raising their hand. And I just ask God in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would settle in this place. We pray for the tangible presence of Almighty God in this room. And Lord, I ask for you to just begin to move upon every heart in here today. Every person with their hand raised who would just say, man, this journey seems to be more difficult than I think it needs to be. I'm tired of trying to figure this thing out on my own. I'm tired of just, of just operating in my own wisdom, in, in my own strength. I'm tired of leaving Jesus at, at church every week and trying to just navigate the remaining days of the week on my own. Father, we say come. Holy Spirit, we say come. Jesus, we say come. Would you invade every day of the week? Monday through Sunday, oh God, would there not be a waking hour where we are separated from you? Would there not be a, a season or a moment or a compartment of our life that you're not allowed to be in? May there not be any part of our life that we section off from you, God, but may we find that the strength and the power and the glory of God remains with us, stays with us, influences us as we step into all the other areas, all the other parts of life, and may you just begin to minister to your kids today, God, life and life to the full. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.